Hello, I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I know it's been a minute, but I am back with my Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps. This is the podcast where I basically just go on ad nauseum about things that I'm interested in that are geek related. Usually that is TV and film that I have caught and I'm recapping on. Every so often it's books that I might catch. Every so often it is Asian dramas. So stay tuned for all of that fanciness. In the meanwhile, you can definitely find me on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely on my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. Everything is under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. If you do a quick Google search, it will pop up. It's all together, curvy, geeky, and fangirl all together as one. Uh, This podcast is also on a bunch of other platforms too. So you can catch me on Anchor, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and a bunch, bunch more. So keep an eye out for that as well. This week, I'm going to be recapping a few things. So I missed last week. I do another podcast with my friend uh, Shay of Shay Sharif, who... um, Brought some goodies uh, last week, and um, I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty much done after that podcast, so um, sleepiness happened. But I am back this week, and I'm gonna be catching up on some of the stuff I missed last week, as well as some of the stuff from this week. Uh, so I'm gonna be talking about that Into the Badlands finale, the Supergirl finale, uh, the next episode of Claws. Claws is not necessarily geek related, but it is a favorite of mine, so I'm gonna be talking about it. I'm definitely gonna jump into the expanse. Humans, Cloak and Dagger, the latest on My Hero Academia, uh, my thoughts on The Incredibles, and my thoughts on Luke Cage Season 2. So there's there's a lot of geek that happened in the last two weeks or so, but I'm going to try and keep it short. I'm going to try and keep it concise. Uh, just to give you guys all the heads up, in case you don't know how this podcast is run, I do spoilers. I ain't scared of no spoilers, so it's going to be spoiler heavy from this point forward. So if you haven't seen any of the stuff I'm talking about, take a break catch up, come back, and we will discuss, we will dive into all of these things. So I'll start with my recap, or basically my feelings of the finale, that mid-season finale that was Into the Badlands, right after this. All right, we're going to be jumping right into Into the Badlands, as always, which is one of my favorites. It has been saving my summer. Uh, I'm definitely on the geek front, because Supergirl... I will get into Supergirl. So, Into the Badlands first. Into the Badlands, uh, surprisingly, decided to do a mid-season finale. I had no idea this was going to be the mid-season finale. I know that the, this is how they usually do it. They do the, full, the first eight episodes, take a mid-season break for some reason, and then come back, like, later part of this summer. Usually August, leading into September, like, around that time frame. Uh, so, but I was still a little surprised that we were already getting a mid-season finale, so... There's that. The, uh, this mid-season finale was, was interesting. So I had a bunch of different feelings going into this, this episode. A, not realizing it was the mid-season finale. But B, also seeing the culmination of everything finally kind of come together. So we've had all these separate storylines going on for some time. We have the Sunny Baji story with trying to save baby Henry. We've got Widow and then and Moon. I will say Widow and Moon. Uh, and their storyline, you know, on the war front with them trying to gain lands. I honestly don't know what she's doing right now. Is she just trying to take out Chow? Or was she trying to actually 
win all of the bad knives. I don't know what she's exactly doing, but she's definitely up against a fight with Baron Chow. So we see Moon and Widow kind of culminating in that, and Moon has stayed uh, her regent for the duration of this so far. So we're seeing that. Uh, we're also, we ever so often got a little bit of Tilda, but not too much. She just was kind of in and out, thankfully. Tilda, the fighter, is amazing. Tilda, Til Tilda, Tilda, the story arc, not the greatest. And I think that's because of who her girlfriend was at the time, because she was just a, a needy girl, a needy, needy girl. I've, oh, so Odessa, I've kind of come around on Odessa, side note. I gave her a lot of flack earlier parts of these podcasts because I really did not like her. But I've also got to kind of understand where they were taking this frame of reference for her from. And that was that this was somebody who for the longest time had no choices, no choices whatsoever, especially when it came to her body over who got to be with her at all. And Tilda for all intents and purposes, is basically her first choice. This is the first time she has made the decision to have somebody, invite somebody to this space, to her to her body, but also like to her, herself, her being. And I can see why, given that reference, she would be so clingy to Tilda and be like, this is an end-all, be-all type of situation a lot of the time, because for her it was, for her it was. I still got really annoyed with, <laughs> with how they they had her character set up, but I'm, I'm slowly coming around on that. Back to that finale episode. So um, Tilda does show up in it, but she doesn't get a huge part. We get the MK um, Sunny team uh, mashup finally, which that which happened, which was okay, which was okay. We I knew, we knew going in that all of this talk from MK about trying to get revenge for his mother, trying to go after Sonny, yada, 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 yada. It was going to result in their their mashup. And a, a big part of us knew, a big part of me knew that once that mashup, he was definitely going to fight Sonny. He was not going to kill Sonny. The, too much has gone down. They have been through too much together for him to get there. And there's a small part of him that understands that the Sonny that murdered his mother is not the Sonny that's helped to protect him. Like, those are two different entities. And I actually like that when they finally have their, their somewhat conversation about everything, and as mad as MK is, I thought Sonny said the right things. And that, yeah, he doesn't remember because all he did was murder for his Baron at the time. Um, but that he's also he's also sorry. He's also regretful of that past. And he MK is somebody that's important to him. And he's really, you know, he, of course he's upset with the fact that he hurt him. So I like that that confrontation got on there. It was a little anticlimactic though. So we get in there, we get the beat down. We see MK really going in and Sonny not really trying to fight back and resulting in MK, you know, getting his win. But of course it was stopped. We knew it was going to get stopped. Pilgrim was on this, we are brothers kick for some reason when it comes to Sonny. That wasn't, we knew it wasn't going to pan out the way he was saying. So having it end the way it did, I mean, and I understandably didn't really have too many options for where to have it go, but it kind of felt like, okay, well now that that's out of the way, let's get into the rest of the story kind of deal. Uh, what else did we have? We also had, oh, that was it. Those were all the story arcs that mashed up. So back to the Widow Chow situation. I love that Louis Tan is in this episode. I love that we got to see him so much. I'm a fan. 
I am still a little confused as to why we created this like side romance for Widow. Like the, her whole stance has been like F men this entire time. Like we don't need them. All they do is pigeonhole us or try to control us. We don't need them. And then we get Gaius Chow. I guess he's the one who kind of broke the rules for her. And they gave us some history showing, you know, showing that he was somebody who was, had always been kind to her. I liked what his sister said though. Like she could have been straight lying. She's not known to be a trustworthy narrator at all, but she does put it out there that like Gaius always took like a, a cog under his wing at some point. And she just happened to be like one of them at the time, apparently. Like she, she puts that doubt into Widow. So I'm wondering, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. Uh, for all, IMDb shows that Lewis Tan is coming back for the for the other episodes. I think he's in a total of twelve. So we're going to see more Lewis Tan. So I'm interested to see how how true to the fact that is. Also, I'm still worried because this is the Badlands, and Widow's starting to get happy at least on that front of having somebody by her side, which means he's going to die. It means he's going to die. This is death sentence stuff. Nobody in the Badlands is that. And then we got married. And we lived happily ever after. Nobody. Nobody does that. Even Moon. So Moon and Lydia have had like this forbidden thing going on. They gave us a very brief recap of their history in that he also used to work for the same Baron Sonny did. Um, and apparently he had a thing with Lydia while she was married to that Baron. But, you know, they she was very understanding of her place. This is Baron Baroness Lydia at the time. So she was like, we might have this on the side, but I am focused on maintaining, you know, the, the brand I'm under right now, this Baron brand. So it didn't go anywhere. And now they've kind of separated and lived their own lives and kind of come back. Fate has brought them back together. We get a scene of like right before they're about to head off for war and like actually hit the ground kind of situation where Lydia meets up with Moon and they have like this night together before they go and fight. And then we get this epic fight scene with Moon on the war front, going ham and like taking who taking hits, but ma managing to be successful. And we see Lydia come in as his, basically his like ride or die. She's over there just like in the nick of time to like save him and get him out of harm's way. And they manage to hold the line and it's like a victory for Widow. But of course it ends bittersweetly because at some point Lydia got hurt. She got hurt pretty badly. But it's Lydia, we know she's gonna live. Like they, they end it on like a cliffhanger of like, ooh, she suffered this wound. She's, she's bleeding a lot, fade out. But my money's on Lydia. This girl is a survivor. She's definitely gonna survive this. And we've seen people in the Badlands get hurt far worse than that and make it. So there's that. Um, back to the Widow and, and Chow though. They have their fight. She faces off against Chow's sister. Baron Chow, again, I was a little confused as to what the plan was, because apparently she has people fighting on the war front, and then she slips away to the Baron's manor, and she makes it inside, and we know that Baron Chow has been expecting this fight for some time. She knows that there's going to be people assisting Baron Chow. She still walks into this trap, still manages to get into this room filled to the brim with people to protect the Baron, and, and, and you know, she gets this look on her face of like slight worry. We're like, okay. But there was a nice little twist. There was a nice little twist. The master from, from the abbots, from the abbots, 
pops the hell up, works her magic, manages to like redirect bows. But something was flying at them. She redirects it so that it hits everybody who shot them. So all of the Baron people and the, I guess the Baron herself all get hurt by that weaponry. And she goes after Widow. And she's like, it's coming. And does some kind of tap on her forehead. It's insinuated that Widow is about to get her black eye ability back. Because that, that master is the one who took it from her in the first place. Uh, but I'm not sure to what end this means exactly. The Abbots have not shown themselves to be exactly trustworthy when it comes to this particular gift that has been going on. Uh, everybody thinks that there needs to be a balance. Like that's something that everybody kind of agrees on. But who maintains that balance seems to be what's up in the air. So they introduced that random tidbit. And of course, we're in a mid-season break. Uh, Sunny and Pilgrim finally meet. And we got to see that catch up. Again, I was it was a little weird. Because they stuffed a lot of backstory into their brief meeting. And that not only does, should Sunny remember who Pilgrim is. But apparently they had a childhood together. He knows Sunny's sister. And he is convinced that him and Sonny this entire time have been the chosen ones to bring whatever is supposed to be happening. So you see Sonny go down and play his part. Baji is like a hardcore against it to the point where he tries to blow up the little facility that they're using. And he's just like, this is wrong. This, is, this isn't right. Like we shouldn't do it. And they don't really explain why he's thinking this. Like what exactly this is supposed to bring. They touch on the witch's prophecy, which was that Pilgrim was supposed to bring chaos into the world. But they're already in a chaotic world. So I would have liked more clarification about why Bajdi thinks this is a, such a bad idea. Especially since he was the one who put the signal on in the first place to call Pilgrim. So that we see Henry finally get cured. So the baby Henry storyline, thankfully, has been put to rest because Pilgrim takes all of the dark-eyed magic out of the baby and gets it into himself. I have more questions. Like, how was he able to control other dark-eyed children this entire time? What role does Sunny play in this? Because we still don't get any answers about that either. Like, what role Sunny plays and why he needed to also be a part of this in order for this transfer to happen and what does it mean now that pilgrim has these black eyes i have a lot of questions i have a lot of questions and no answer as to when this show is returning so if it follows suit like it did in the previous seasons that means late august into september but there's also some speculation that it just might be canceled usually amc announces something by now and they haven't said a word and it's been a week so there's that but yeah, I think this is the shortest recap ever I've done for Into the Badlands. <laughs> but also, that that's really what happened. There was all the lines kind of came together, a lot of fighting, and a lot of questions. And that's pretty much it. So right after this, I'm going to be jumping into uh, Supergirl real briefly, their finale, and then also jumping into class right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics. That's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. 
Okay, so I'm gonna be jumping into the Supergirl finale and keep this one even briefer than I did for Into the Badlands. You guys know my feelings on Supergirl season three. Season three, right? Not season four? Maybe? More questions? Yep, season three. There we go. So, Supergirl season three, again, had a lot of promise. There were some strong episodes, but overall it has been a clusterfuck of just craziness for no reason. Like we had these side characters who did nothing for the longest. We got random storylines for the main characters we already know that led to nothing. Like it was, they, were, they, they kept putting all of these uh, people in peril and thinking that we were gonna see huge consequences to it. And then there was nothing. And then there was nothing. This Rain storyline was a mess. It was a mess. I could understand if they kept Rain as a solo villain this entire arc, cool. But they didn't. They introduced three other world, world killers and then took them away. So it was like, why did we get introduced to them if they're not sticking around whatsoever? Not only that, but they decided to imbue all those powers into Rain. So I don't understand why we just have Rain just doing this all in the first place. And then when it felt like they had resolved everything, they introduced it back again. And not in like a, ooh, you thought it was quiet and now it's loud. And like a, ooh, you thought it was done, but we forgot some stuff and now we're adding it in. Like that, it, it, it felt very stagnated and just boring. And I hate to say that about Supergirl. Supergirl is one of my favorite series, but it was just a mess this season. So that being said, we got into our finale. My biggest takeaway from the finale was that, A, Wynn is gone. Wynn is one of my faves. And I was really hoping they were gonna expand on his character even more at some point. Like they, they gave him a little girlfriend and then they took that away. And for the most part, he's just played like nerdy best friend, tech dude for the longest. But, and a surprise twist for me, cause I, I, don't, I don't really keep up with a lot of news on Supergirl. Yeah. Um, when was being taken off the show. So like I saw the Instagram posts, um, that the actual actor behind Wynn put up. And it was, it made sense. He was taking some time for himself, you know, so he could be with his wife, but also so that, you know, he could really explore other things, other options, and that he wasn't gone permanently from Supergirl, but that he was no longer gonna be taking on like a series regular role, which opened the door for other characters to take a, a regular role, like Brainiac. So apparently Brainiac is gonna be a series regular at some point. Uh, at least that's what I've heard down the grapevine. Who knows? And um, I mean, I'm excited for that. I know in the comics, and they've hinted it in some of some of the other animated series, Brainiac and Supergirl get together. But we just came off this Monel shitstorm, so I didn't. I don't. What? So so Win is gone, and I'm a little. I'm sad about that. I was hoping to see an expansion on on Win, but we're not getting it. Monel is gone. I'm not sad for that. Like I didn't <laughs> like I was I was excited when they introduced Monel in his in the first season that he was in there, which was season two. So I was excited for that whole love love story then, and that's when a lot of people disliked him. And then he came back, and he was already married. And I feel like they didn't provide any resolutions to anything that happened before. Like him and Kara are still in like this oh, maybe kind of area, but now he's like, oh, I gotta go back to the future, which means he's going back to the future with his current wife. So does this mean he made up his mind and now he's taken with his, I have a thousand questions. A thousand questions, why did we bring you back just to take you away again? Like I don't get, but whatever, sure. It probably worked on some level somewhere. I just didn't get it. 
So he's gone too. Um, for some, oh yeah, Brainiac can't go back to the future. The way they set it up is that Brainiac can't go back to his future because a distant relative of his has taken over and has gone completely evil and has managed to create some sort of something that gets rid of uh, all AIs in that future. So it's dangerous for Brainiac to be there. So of course he's going to be staying, staying behind. I love the actor that plays this Brainiac. I'm very excited for uh, the next season to see him, but it was just a mess. It's just a mess how they left things. They finally resolved the rain thing, which I felt they should have resolved the first time she was in this little mind cave of hers. I did like the touches that they added with uh, Sam seeing her foster mother again and her foster mother actually playing a part in helping Sam to become a stronger person. That that was really sweet to include that. I'm not gonna lie. I teared up when John lost his father in the previous episode. And now John was trying to figure things out on his own, sons his father. Like that, that got me as well. Those guys are brilliant actors. John is also gone. So John also left the DEO and now Alex is head in charge. And again, it's a situation where uh, he's not, He's not gone, gone. He's not going to be a series regular, but, you know, he might be make a guest appearance here and there. He's one of my favorites. And I was, again, hoping to see a little bit more on his story, but apparently, no. So we're just losing a lot of things and not gaining a whole bunch back. Boo. We got Jimmy Olsen showing his damn face to everybody who wants to walk past him so they know that he's Guardian. Like, are we going to stop Guardian? Is this what this means? Is this, is this what this, it sounds like this is what it means. Like, when's gone? Jimmy's all but telling people he guardian in the first place. Like, why? Why, show? Why? They finally got rid of the witches. It wasn't exciting. It was just dumb across the board. I'm, and it, at least it's done. At least it's done. We had a few moments there that stood out. But that's it. That's all I got for this, this finale. And again, I think that's the shortest I've ever recapped it. So moving on to Klaus. So Klaus is my show this show is so good so we got into episode two episode two did not disappoint so i was interested to see what was going to happen with desna desna recently got orders from zlata to take over jen's house like she's clearly trying to infiltrate her little crew either by breaking them apart from desna or making desna choose her over her crew something but, but you know, they're not dumb. So they know that she's up to something. So Jen and Desna are working something out where they can both stay at the house so that the girls can stay and still go to the, to the really good school that they're in. Um, so it's just going to be like a Brady Bunch type-esque situation. We got introduced to Jen's mom, who is hilarious, but also terrible at the same time. We got, uh, we got more Uncle Daddy oh, and, and him just being really frustrated with the situation that they're in. We also got oh, a little bit more on Bryce. So Bryce is really hurting after every, like we know he's been hurting. That's what they've been cementing as a storyline between Jess and Jess, Jen and Bryce. Like he, I mean, they both broke promises to each other, but he definitely feels, and he's definitely, and they're definitely treating Jen's uh, extramarital affair as being way worse than Bryce returning to drugs. Like he might even still be using, but apparently, on the level of fairness, I guess, on who hurt each other more, Jen's hurt was far worse than Bryce being back on drugs. I have a little bit of an issue with that. Like, that is some craziness. But on the other hand, I also can kind of see that. Bryce has always been a bleeding heart. Like, they set that up in the season one. So this is definitely somebody who treasured his wife. Like, 
He idolized her. And not only does he have to deal with, you know, her... Well, did she even tell him? I think she told him that she cheated on him. But I think he also... Someone else probably told him too, I think. But he also gets it thrown in his face again. Like, so the last episode, he got a full-on video of everything happening. And then we get to see the follow-up in this episode. And he's, he's done. He's done. Like, he's really hurting. So we see that. And then we see Jen's mom just be her messy self. So after all of that, with Jen crying to her mom about all of this, and and you see the setup. Like, Jen knows her mom's not the greatest mom, but she's still her mom. But that line gets shattered because Jen's mom goes after Bryce. And is, and they and they catch him. They catch him in the midst of doing something crazy. And it's, it, you just see her break down at the end. And I'm not going to lie, it got some tears out of me because you, you see her trying to piece this logic together. Like, but this is my mom and I love her and, and she helped me out with this, but now she's also doing this and why would she do this? It was a really good scene. So I really, really like that. We also got, um, D- well, was it Dean of Virginia? Yeah. We also got some Dean of Virginia uh, dealing with the pregnancy. And... They decide to get get an abortion, which is their right, and they show what life is like when you go to the clinic to do one of those, and it is terrifying. And what was really interesting was like the duality they played on that. Like you see them going in, and it's mad hatred, and then when they come out, and Dean announces that they're engaged, the crowd immediately shifts their tone until you know uh, Virginia gets back and it's like, we still did it. Like, <laughs> so, but it was really interesting to see that we also got, uh, poor Rolla Doolin trying to do his best in this new situation. He's found himself. So now he's been married to this, uh, young Russian woman that he got pregnant and has a baby with, which is not Rolla's plan at all. Like he knew about her and he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of the baby. But he wasn't trying to be with her in that way. But this girl is living her best my little pony life like right now she she thinks she's got everything like she's got her husband they have their baby and now you know she's gonna fall for her clearly because they're gonna hang out and have the same interests like play video games but at the same time Roll is trying to play on the inside and be the inside man into whatever's going on with the russians it's Rolla. so he's smart he does have his moments where he stands out and he's really smart about what he's doing but he's also constant in his fuckery. So he's known to mess up in a huge way. And it's literally a countdown until that happens. So we got that going as well. We got a little more with Polly. She's still working with the strippers and trying to make everything work. She's about to move into Desna's place because Desna's moving in with Jen. And that's that's it. So that, there wasn't too much newness. The only, only thing I can think of that's new is we had a small scene with Zlata and Rola, where Zlata is talking to Rola about what he could do for them as a family now, now that he's married in. And he's like, I'm good with numbers. And she's like, and you're also good with Desna. And he's like, yeah, but that was never hard. And Zlata's like, yeah, she tends to have that kind of effect on people. So it makes me wonder if Zlata's saying that in a general sense or in an I'm interested sense. So I wouldn't put it past the show to introduce something like that. It'll be interesting to see. But I'm excited to see this show progress. So hopefully the next episode that comes on will show a little bit more. All right, and then... No, I think that's it. That's all the highlights I have for that. So right after this, we're going to be talking about The Expanse. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to jump into the expanse with this latest episode. So the episodes have been leading up to what the hell is happening in this ring. So 
all now everybody's on board. Everybody's in the ring. We've got uh, the Belters. We got Earthers and Martians all in this ring. And of course, we've got the Rasinati. So everybody's in here. Everybody's trying to be the first. Everybody's trying to see what's going on. But everybody's also kind of on edge as to what can happen in here because anything goes. Uh, so Holden made his way into, I guess, like the heart of the ring, like the nebulous of the ring. Some, he gets into himself into a room, a room in the ring. Uh, what Miller leads him to and is like, we need you to complete this. Whatever this thing was, it looks like an open wire. They need him, like a circuit, and they need him to complete it. And he's in there, and then we get to see Bobby come back. So Bobby's back in space. She's with the MCN, and she is really trying to take the lead on things. Um, she's still, she's not the head Martian in charge. So she's she's under somebody else's orders, but she's the one with the most experience with the Rossinati crew and dealing with this protomolecule ridiculousness. And she kind of comes in at it level-headed she's like be prepared for anything i've dealt with this crew i highly doubt they're the ones that really sent off you know the in the previous episode when they had a fake hold and announcing that he was about to attack whatever whatever she's like i know them they wouldn't do this you know we're all going to be keeping an eye on everything yidi 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 yada for the most part her crewmates are just like whatever like they, <laughs> they don't care but when they make their way into that room where holden is we're holding's about to complete the circuit like shit goes downhill fast uh and their their officer in command gets quickly killed and you and it's protomolecule style so he dies is disfragmented and then becomes part of that room in the two blinks of course it freaks everybody out um and holden goes ahead and completes the circuit and this brings us to the episode where we pick right up Holden's completed the circuit and he's knocked the fuck out. So he's on the ground, unconscious, apparently not breathing. And we've got Bobby trying to move fast. So she's like, okay, we need to get it cut. We need to get Holden. We need to get him together, get him out of here. Uh, there's two people left on her crew. And she's like, we need to hurry up and get out of here. They're like, all right, we're going to speed out of here. She notes that the room is moving pretty slow. Like she still sees... She's, I don't know if it's blood or leftover bullets, but she sees something still still moving, but not quickly. So she's like, don't move super fast. We're gonna test the speed and see if the speed limit's changed. Speed limit's changed. So from whatever measure of speed it was before, it's even less than that now. So thankfully they checked, otherwise they all would've been dead. And so they head off to the ship. We find out that that speed limit has affected everybody in the ring. So everybody was moving at one clip and now they are dealing with the consequences of this speed change because it's it's hurt a lot of people. That's because it was swift, it was super quick, and now a lot of people are hurt. The issue is with all these people hurt in space, there's no gravity for blood to drain. So blood is just clotting and not moving the way it's supposed to. So. People are in like super situations. We get a situation um, on the Belter end. The Belter crew storyline oh, was a tearjerker. So I'm trying to get their names so I can say this correctly. I'm probably not going to get it together, but I'm going to look into this. Belter. All right. So anyway, so we see the Belters, uh, the captain and her second in command, who's been given a grief this entire time, this entire time. And 
oh, this is not going to tell me because boo, whatever. So we get her. So she's been getting grief from this guy forever because he's he's been a pirate captain this for the longest. And now he's with the OWA, which is like the, the Belter Hard Edge group. And he's trying to use what they're doing as a moment in Belter history to showcase that they are just as good, if not better, as Earthers and Martians put together. Uh, but she doesn't agree with all his methods. And he constantly questions her and criticizes her in front of crew all the time. But now it's just the two of them. And they're, they're stuck in what looks like a loading dock of some sort. She was working on something to like relieve the stress when the speed changed and she got pinned. Uh, in the process, her second in command also got pinned. Apparently he had come up to follow up behind her. And he's also pinned. So they're pinned on either side of this machine. And it is terrible. It's terrible. Like, it's a no-win situation. Like, they had a moment of hope where they could almost do it. And then, of course, it got snatched away. And then she makes an ultimate sacrifice move and is like, okay, between the two of us, I'm the one that's worst hurt. We need somebody who's going to be able to carry this on. You're definitely the one who's going to be able to do it. I'm making the decision. And she does. She decides to free him at the expense of her own life. She gets taken out. I loved that she added in there that, like, you're going to get what you want, so shut up kind of situation. I love that. I love that they had a little bonding moment, and I love that they kind of got on each other's level. But right after that, we see him take over, and to his credit, he very much understands and respects the decision that she had to made, make, but he also definitely sees this as an opportunity to finally make things go the way he wants them to go. So we see that happen too. Um, what else happens? On the Earther ship, in a surprise twist, we see shit go downhill for Melba fast. So Melba, LK, AKA, I still want to call her Cassie, but that is not her name. Mal, the real, real Clarissa. There it is, Clarissa Mal. Um, she was about to get called out by another person that was on the ship. So this other girl on the ship who was talking to the Reverend knew who she really was, but she didn't tell the Reverend exactly. And she was like, debating whether or not she should bring it up because she understands trying to take space to create your own identity situation, thinking that's what Melba's doing. So she goes to confront Melba before the speed change and Melba doesn't take the news well. In the midst of trying to kill her, speed changes. And it Melba could have very easily said that the reason that woman was pinned where she was was because of the speed change like this was her opportunity to like be like it was nothing and for all intents and purposes it looked like that poor woman was dead that poor, that poor woman was still alive and she was able to send an emergency calm to the reverend that was the last person she talked to reverend without haste or hesitancy makes her way down to this woman and gets the full story on melba she finds out melba's actually a mouth that she's in it to go and get holden that she tried to kill this woman in the first place. So Reverend knows all of this now. And of course that poor woman dies like in her hands. She tries to get to Melba. Melba's already suited up to leave because now she sees her, her moment. Like she knows she can't stay on the ship. It is, it is a countdown clock until everybody comes after her. But she also sees that she's close enough to the Rasanati to finally do what she wanted to do in the first place. So she takes that chance against the Reverend's well wishes and she makes it to the Rasanati. We also have Naomi making her way to the Rasanati. So speed change, thankfully she wasn't too, too hurt. She gets to the Rasanati and of course the boys are just ugh, worse for the wear. 
Alex was in the midst of listening to his music and trying to what looked like trying to get coffee when everything went down and he's like fading in and out of consciousness. You got Amos who possibly was trying to repair something or was just hanging out in his bunk or something. Also got hurt in the process. So Naomi manages to get these guys together, try to get them aid and also reunite with them. And I love that Amos had this moment with her where he was like, are you here to stay? Are you here to visit? And she was like, stay. And it was, because they were super close and then they had their falling out. And it's nice. It's nice to see it come back together. They were really cute as friends. So we see that. And then just as Naomi is like, okay, job well done, Naomi. Melba shows the hell up. So Melba's on the ship and she just starts threatening Naomi. And she's like, where's Holden? And she's trying to pin her and choke the hell out of her. And Naomi's like, I'm not telling you even if I knew because she doesn't know. She doesn't know where Holden is at this point. And it looks like Melba's going to win in killing Naomi because the boys are out. They can't do anything. But here comes last minute rescue Reverend. I was surprised that she actually came out the way she did. I was extra surprised that she did a kill shot. She went for the heart on that girl. I don't I don't think Melba's dead. I think she's wounded, but I don't think she's dead yet but I was surprised to see her follow her. So now we got Rev on the Rasenati. We got Melba on the Rasenati. Of course, we got Naomi and the guys. We don't have Holden. Holden is back on Bobby's ship uh, with the remaining crew that has survived. And this crew wants Holden dead. They fully blame him for the death of their lieutenant, even though he didn't do anything to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant was just a dumbass thinking he could do whatever the hell he wanted in this space against all of Bobby's warnings. So... Bobby, again, with the clear-headed self that she is, is like, Holden didn't do anything. Yes, he's still wanted by by our government. So we will hold him for that, but we are not killing him. Like, get it together. Uh, Unfortunately, this whole time, Holden is knocked the hell out. He's still just gone. And she's trying her best to help him regain consciousness. They even had to, like, restart his heart a couple times. So she's, like, extra worried about that. She makes her way back down to check on him. He finally comes to... And when she finally asks him, like, what went on, Holden looks at her and he is terrified. And he's like, I saw everything. And they end it. And we're like, what, 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 what does that mean? Does that mean anything? What does that mean? So I'm hoping there's another episode. I wouldn't be surprised if we're like, and this is the finale. So hopefully we get some more information at some point. I would love to see just Amos and Clarissa meet up. Apparently in the books, like, they become friends. So I would like to see how that happens if we're going to get it. And more importantly, what the hell Holden saw? Are we going to see more Miller? I have a thousand questions. But this episode was great. It does this thing where it balances its tension, resolves some of the questions that you have, but not in the annoying way of like, here's one answer to your 50 questions, and we're going to introduce 200 more questions. Like, it's pretty satisfying, the give and take that this show does. So I appreciate it. And that's going to wrap up The Expanse. I'm going to be jumping into my next show here, which is going to be Humans, right after this. Hey there, listeners. So this is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a moment to let you guys know about that other group I'm constantly talking about and working with, and that is Fan Bros. For all nerds, Fan Bros itself, check out fanbros.com. I actually am a contributor for that website. I post up fandom fashions every now and again, but you should also check out everything else that they've got going on there. They've got wonderful articles covering all things geek, and of course they have their own podcasts and other sister podcasts underneath them that also cover all things geek. They do talk about it from an urban perspective, 
which to me just enriches the experience overall. So if you guys get the chance, definitely check them out. All right, so we jump into humans. Humans is so good. So humans is, a, like I said before, is a UK series, which means it's going to be a short season. Like don't do 20 some odd episodes like we do here in the States. So I just read that they are only doing an eight episode series. With a shortened series though, you don't lose out on a lot of story, which is wonderful with this. Uh, and it doesn't feel compacted either. It feels like it's enough space to get you information and to still leave you wanting a little bit more. Like it's, it's really good at doing that. So uh, with this latest episode, we kind of picked up where we left off. So the episode prior that I did not recap was that um, Max, Mia, and Niska kind of had a falling out of sorts. Max is quickly losing the reins he had to help protect the sense that he's with right now, but also to like stay their leader. It's quickly going away. Like there's a lot of doubt that's being infused with the group he's with. And that's kind of being headed uh, by one person in particular, Agnes. She is mad critical of Max and his, his strives to try and like get them all, what is the word? Integrated into human society. Like there's a, up until this point, I thought she totally hated humans because that's, that's kind of the edge she gives you. Like we are wasting synth lives. We're not doing anything back and they are you know, totally taking us out. They're taking us out one by one. By one. We're not doing anything. Uh, but in this latest episode, she makes note that she doesn't trust herself around humans. So she doesn't want to put herself in a situation where she's around them a lot. If she didn't care about humans, period, she wouldn't have said that at all. She wouldn't have worried about any of the consequences to latch back on that. So that tells me that there's still a part of her that knows that she can't just go around killing innocent people. Clearly, though, it's not a big part because she still does not like what Max is doing. Uh, Max, on the other hand, this poor guy, is just really trying to figure things out. Like he's taken on this this leader role with the group. Uh, He's kept it a secret that he's been awakened longer than they actually have. So for all intents and purposes, all the synths think that they all awakened at the same time. And he honestly, I, I feel like he, he's stuck between a rock and a hard, a hard place. He really is. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He knows he's got to follow these asinine, insane human rules if they're going to do anything. But he also wants to do something for the fact that he's losing so many friends and family. Like his girlfriend got taken away from him quickly and you see how much that hurts him it hurts him to the point that he sends away his brother his brother he's loved forever who he's been walking around with for ages oh i should think of his name i'm gonna get to it simon nope yes no man i'm not gonna know and it's just gonna leo there it is found it leo leo is his brother who's the human half synth person he loves his dude. All of the first two seasons was him being Leo's like positive consciousness. And now he's like, you got to go away. I can't have any humans here. And now that you're awake and like breathing, you got to go. That's the other recap. Max, or not Max, Leo is awake. So Leo had been in a coma starting with the last series, season, series two. Uh, he got stabbed, yo, like hard, like death stabs uh, from a synth who was very much like Agnes, who was just like, we need to take these fools out, we better, we stronger, I don't understand the problem, why aren't we ruling the world, this type of situation. And he was trying to talk her down and they actually had, like there was an emotion, no connection between the two of them. 
but she was also very murdery. And so she was like, I love you, but you lying to me. And so you got to die. So she had gone after him and it was a whole thing. And he lost a ridiculous amount of blood and consciousness. So he had been out apparently for either months on end or like a full year, something stupid long. And he finally has come to, and it was after a lot of worry that he wouldn't come to at all because he had all these machines helping him to stay alive. But he did, he's alive and he's well and he's walking around. And apparently he's more human than he's ever been this entire time. So he doesn't need to recharge apparently. And it's just, it's just him walking around. It's interesting to see Leo not dour. Like, like Leo, who's not a strong pessimist this entire time, is very different. It's a whole different Leo that we're seeing. We see him struggle with remembering things. With, yeah, with remembering certain things. There's even a small bit where, like, he's trying to eat with a knife and fork, and he completely doesn't remember how these work together to, to eat at all. So we're seeing little hiccups here and there. Um, we also see him and Maddie get a lot closer. Maddie has been having feelings for Leo for some time. Uh, I was under the impression, though, that there was a nice age gap between the two. Because when she started feeling for him, she was definitely in high school still. So, but this guy's also this guy also does not age. So I'm pretty sure he's a vampire. Either way, uh, we see a little more headway in the in the Leo Maddie situation. So Maddie is a little more hardened now. She blames herself for all of the fallout that's happening. I agree with her. It's definitely her fault. She, uh, she's the reason all these sins awakened in the first place. She found uh, the code to do that and she launched it, not even caring about these consequences or what people were doing when this code would be launched, nothing. She just was trying to get it out there. And we see the fallout of that. We hear about the people who... Like one gentleman, he, well, I don't see, I don't know if it was because of synth awoke or not, but he had a baby and apparently this, the synth was giving the baby a bath. And at some point this synth either forgot this baby was having a bath or something happened, but this baby drowned. So, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of stories similar to that, where they were doing something that they needed to have a hundred percent attention on. And then after being awakened, Madness, because chaos ensued, chaos ensued. And that's why people are having such divisive feelings right now between synths and humans. So we see that and we see Maddie struggling with all of that. And Leo gives her some nice words and is like, it wasn't your fault, yeedy yada yeedy blah blah blah. Um, but he did say something about wallowing that like pissed her. I was confused with Leo. He said something outside the school that she was just like, fuck you, and left. So I'm like, I don't, I was confused too. I wasn't sure what was happening. He follows her back home and she's still pissed. They make it up to her room and she's like, what the hell ever? You can sleep on the floor. I don't give a fuck. Like, just just like, whatever. And he catches her and they have like a little tender moment there where she finally gets this kiss. And this this has been a buildup for some time. And I mentioned this because I'm pretty sure he's going to forget it. They've been playing with his memory for a little bit now. So I'd be interested to see where this exactly goes. Okay, so there's that. We also have uh, stuff happening on the other side of town. So the dad in this story, who's, you know, I should have these names like locked down, but I do not. Um, I'm going to figure this out. Joe, there it is. <laughs> Joe 
is the father of this family that we've been following with the synths. And he has made it a point to be like, I am no longer dealing with any robots whatsoever. I'm going to live back on the land like God had intended, like just like I'm living carefree and without the help of all this artificial intelligence. He has had a go of it, you know, with when it comes to the AIs. Like it's, it's been a struggling thing. It, it definitely was a factor in the ruination of his marriage. Like, but it was a marriage that was already on the rocks, but the synth things definitely helped to push it a little more over the edge. Plus with everything that was going down, like when he lost his job, like there's a lot of, a lot of negativeness associated with uh, everything he's been dealing with with these robots. So, of course, he is the person to realize that there is a robot in his town. This town is supposed to be all humans, right? But he recognizes uh, this woman and her child. He recognizes the woman as another synth, as another awakened one. He's like, oh, like you see him spotting her and then him following her and then eventually they have their, their showdown. And he's like, you're the Beatrice one. You're the, you're the one that Eisner created to look like his wife. And she was also the last one that was created. Uh, recap for Beatrice is that she is. She's also an awakened synth. She is definitely part of the crew that was all awake before this happened. But she never got to be a part of their family. So after Eisner had created all of those other synths, including Max and Mia and Niska, uh, he decided to create Beatrice thinking, oh yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we also brought back Leo's mom? Leo's mom wow, was a troubled individual. She was dealing with a lot of stuff and she also had a lot of mental health issues that she was dealing with. Uh, the reason Leo even got into his accident to become a half human, half synth is because his mother tried to kill him and herself. And that's one of the memories that has stayed with Leo. So of course, when he sees this synth and she introduces this, introduces herself to the family, he recoils, there's a situation and she leaves. She's awakened, so she's got feelings and she sees the negativity that she's faced. And then she finds out the backstory as to why she was even created. And she decides to wipe the slate clean. She's gonna start over, create a whole new life for herself and she successfully does it. She becomes a investigator for a local township at some point. She even falls in love with a human. Like it was really sweet. And of course, all of that got taken away. All of it got yanked on, out from under her. And we see it kind of come full circle where she decides that there's nothing else for her here. There's nothing else for her here. She does not have that family. She doesn't have the man that she loved anymore. And she finds herself uh, with this little child synth which is really creepy. This company has decided that, you know what would be good? If we create baby synths. So like, you know, people who can't have kids or people who have, like a, their child died or whatnot, we can just clone them and make them synths and then they'll be happy. It's super scary and super creepy. There's a reason we don't have immortal children. There's a reason. So, but she sees one and she manages to save one. And then when the awakening happens, he's the one that pulls her out of her stupor and they decide to live this life. So they're living... They're trying to live incognito and live in this human town and act as human as they can because it's the last place anybody's going to think to look for them. And of course, they run into Joe. All of that to say, uh, Joe meets up with them, finds out their story, and he's slowly but surely becoming integrated in their lives. This latest episode shows him actually trying to help. So he points out that like the child needs to be a lot messier when it comes to his drawing or even his playing. Like he's, he's too perfect in a lot of things that he does. So he shows them that. Uh, there's a whole cute moment where he's, to, the little boy asks him to like play soccer. 
Of course, it's football everywhere else in the world. But we say soccer here in the States. It's really cute. And they try to do that. And like it's it looks like they're starting to create like this little family unit, which is hysterical because Joe doesn't want anything to do with sense. And now he's got this huge secret that he's trying to deal with. And he's slowly becoming okay with it. Hilarious. Also, we got a moment where we see, um, oh, what is her name? We call her Beatrice, but it's Karen. So Karen uh, and the little boy that she's got, he gets, he almost gets hit in traffic. So he chases after the ball, doesn't realize there's a car coming and Joe has to be the one to step in and save the kid. So he does. And we see that uh, Karen, aka Beatrice, Beatrice, is frozen in place like a statue. Like she's like mid run and can't move. So they manage, Joe manages to get them back to their apartment and he's like, what the hell happened out there? And we find out that Eisner built in a fail safe for her in that, you know, just in case she has any, any inclinations like her predecessor, you know, the real Beatrice, uh, she will be in it, you know, unable to do anything to harm herself at all. But she also realizes that she can't take care of this little boy the way she needs to. Because if he gets in harm's way, she can't do anything to save him if it's also going to put her in harm's way. Big revelation. Super crazy. Super scary. What else did we get? We got Mia going into town. Mia has been also going through it. She has at her wit's end, basically, trying to figure out what to do to integrate herself into human society. Because everything they've been trying to do has failed spectacularly. And she comes up with this plan to rent a, what do they call it? A loft? A flat. Rent a flat uh, in, in a mostly human populated area. And of course it's met with a lot of aggressiveness and a lot of animosity. They are constantly outside of her house taking pictures, yelling out names, throwing shit at her doors and her windows, threatening her life on a daily. And she's trying to stick it out to show that sense, awakened sense and humans can effectively w work together. She does this with the help of Laura. Laura is a lawyer who's been working on synth rights for a little bit. <sighs> Laura's story is very interesting. So Laura managed to get herself a seat at the table for people who are making the big rules against what synths can and cannot do in this new society. Unfortunately, anything she says goes right out the door because no one is taking her seriously. She's basically there to fill a seat and basically fulfill a role, which is like the morality for the sense. She thought she had an ally in this one guy. So there's a guy who's a scientist at the, at the table as well, uh, who may or may not know about some kind of secret plan to destroy all of the sense. And she tries to get more information from him. They end up having like a really cute moment and like bonding on an emotional level. They even have like a little mini makeout there for a second, only to find out that he uh wasn't, well, he wasn't lying. So there was a whole point in their date where he talks about how he lives in his head. He can't afford to live by his heart anymore after what happened to his baby. He's a guy whose baby drowned after the synth wasn't paying attention at some point for some reason, either the awakening or something else. And it's definitely colored his ideas to what synths are and whether or not they have any rights. But he also says that he tries to abstain from all of that by living logically, by staying in his head. 
The issue with him living logically, though, is that he puts everything through that filter. So he, of course, his marriage suffered and he's now divorced and we see it happen with Laura. So, you know, in that moment, he's completely fine with them getting together and and bonding on this other level. But once they're back at the table making big decisions for policy, he's like, "Mm, no, none whatsoever. So he's given out these this data about how, you know, giving sense a curfew and basically just curbing everything they do is actually safer for everybody, Ugh, which moves the plan forward that Laura is not about. So we see her struggling with this reality and just being like, okay, I have no idea what else I can do. Like, what else am I supposed to do? What else am I supposed to do? So you see Laura go back to her boss and she's like, I'm out, bitch. Like, this is not, this is not doing anything. You told me I was going to have like a real effect on change and I'm not, it's not happening whatsoever. To her boss's credit, she kind of looks at her like, bitch, I told you, you had the opportunity for the, to make this change. Not that you were going to, like you, <laughs> it's still up to you to enforce that. It's still up to you to try to make it happen. All I can do is open the door. You gotta go through it. So we're left with that. Uh, otherwise, nothing much else is happening. Niska may or may not be part of a spy network. She's trying to find the people who, or the sense that blew up that human synth bar, or synth bar that her girlfriend was at, that her girlfriend got hurt at. And she's kind of finding out who it is, but she also got a message sent to her by whomever. Uh, who's like, you need to find the real motive behind all of this and not just go after that one perpetrator. So it's like, okay, all right. Like more intrigue, more mystery. So we'll see. We'll see where all of this takes us. Hopefully somewhere good. We left things off with Agnes back at the Max compound, basically saying, I'm about to run this bitch. So it'll be interesting to see if she's gonna overthrow Max. What that means, if she does overthrow Max, is that gonna free Max up to go and explore other endeavors with his siblings or what? So that's it for humans. And then I'm gonna be jumping into Cloak and Dagger right after this. All right, so I'm jumping right into Cloak and Dagger. I'm not gonna lie, I have not keeping up with this show. This show is slow as heck. Shout out to Blurred Girl, who also did a recent recap on uh, the screeners she got. She had to watch the first four episodes before the rest of us mere mortals. And she was real hype about it. She was super excited about it. And she was quick to point out though, that if you're not familiar with the comics, watching the series is gonna be a slow go. And she was not lying. So, uh. You know, I show I sent a tweet to her because tweeting is what gets us to everybody. And uh, it was just like, you know, uh, I've been trying to stay with the show, but it's a, whew, it's a struggle. And she was like, try to stick with it. Hold out. <laughs> like, it's coming. Like, I promise it's getting, it's going to get better. It's going to get good. It's going to get there. So I just watched the latest episode because I don't watch this the night it comes out. I catch it when I have the free time because your girl is adulting all the time. And I uh, just finished watching it with my husband actually. And um, this is the fourth episode and it's still just so slow. Granted, I'm gonna give it a bunch of the obvious excuses. It's a new show. They are explaining uh, non-mainstream characters to a mainstream audience. So 
uh, those both, both of those things in mind, it's going to take a little bit. They're also using this time to really touch on topics that are very, tr- very current and very trending of today. Uh, as a positive, as a positive that they're even trying. Um, but oh my gosh, just just wait, just what, just. Here goes. So my takeaways from the episode: A, I am not a fan of this this flashback, flash forward storytelling that they do. So what they do is they kind of drop you in the middle of whatever's happening between Tandy and Tyrone, and then it's kind of up to you as the viewer to piece together whether or not this happened before everything else starts to go down or after everything else starts to go down. Uh, this. Ex- Current episode is where it picked up where it left, where the last episode left off. So we see them, you know, at the church, meeting at the church. This is after they've had their come to Jesus moments of just seeing into the other's perspective, basically. Or seeing into their mind's eye, seeing into their hopes, their fears. I, You know, honestly, I don't know what that was in the previous episode. So the previous episode that I did not recap revol- revolved around Tandy and Tyrone basically getting to know each other on a level way deeper than they've been talking to each other this entire time. With Tandy, she saw Tyrone from a perspective of just having to dodge death on a daily basis. Like you see him uh, going after the cop that shot his brother and every time he tries to do so, usually results in his death. And then you see Tandy uh, as a drug addled, just just sad person uh, who constantly runs away from what's going on. So, you know, dealing with her loss, like it was real vivid. The imagery was real vivid for both. With uh, Tyrone, you get, like I said, you see him getting lynched. You see him getting shot. Like it's horrific, crazy stuff every time he tries to go after this cop. And with Tandy, you see her dad being waterboarded. So you see her outside of like a glass building, not able to do anything and running away. So it's both of them having to face what's going on and and try to rectify it within that realm. Uh, But of course, they're in each other's fears of this happening. So I'm assuming it was supposed to tie into the fact that they both need each other in in order to move on from the horrors that they're living with on the daily. But it took a long, it was a very artistic, uh, expressed situation there. And this episode is no different. So we get uh, another episode where they're, they're talking more. So they're, they're in the same room a lot more. And they're just talking about, you know, the weird stuff that's happening to them and, and what they, each of them thinks it is, it is. And it results in them having a, like a, a meeting of the minds, but also like really hating each other. Sure. I, I don't I don't know what they're trying to do with this show. I'm mad, confused. Why aren't we just seeing the fighting? I don't I don't understand why we need all of this, but I'm going to assume that hardcore readers of Cloak and Dagger are like, this is fantastic. That's what I'm gonna assume. I'm gonna assume that they are watching this and thinking, great, they got it, they got it, and they're doing wonders. That's what I'm hoping. Because right now I'm just really bored. Like I don't I don't I don't care about anything that's happening the the part with Tyrone and his father that was interesting seeing Tyrone's dad meet up with 
whatever group this was, a crew, a group, I don't know what happened there. But we had a whole situation where Tyrone's dad takes him to a place he's never been before and brings him around people he's never seen before and gives a full like speech, like a full back and forth with uh, him between the father and this older gentleman that comes out of the house from this group. And you get the sense that this is somebody that Tyrone's dad knows. And you get the sense that this is a test. This is like the looks that the people give each other when they see Tyrone's dad step out the car is like surprise. Like they recognize who he is, but they're not sure what he's doing here. And they're kind of looking at each other like, what do you know what's happening? Kind of situation. And they have this back and forth between, I'm assuming is the leader of this group and Tyrone's dad. And then they embrace and they welcome him. And then we find out that Tyrone's dad actually brought his older brother out there as well. And his older brother was supposed to take over for the spot that Tyrone's dad had as a, as a, as a spy boy, as a spy boy. Yep. I don't, you know, again, I don't know. I don't know. No shade to what I'm assuming is a real life practice of whatever we just witnessed. But I mean, all to the show's credit, they did manage to tie it into Tyrone and what he's going to inevitably be doing. So apparently if you are a spy boy, you're somebody who travels all over the place and basically keeps people aware of danger that might be lurking or coming around their way. And it's, I just had a lot more questions because it just moves so slow. So we see Tyrone with this group and they're doing beadwork. They're doing really detailed beadwork on, I guess, cloaks, coats, something of that nature for when they march, maybe? It wasn't really explained. So um, Tyrone comes across a cloak that he says kind of speaks to him and it turns out to be his brother's cloak. And it's a moment he shares with his dad, this kind of come to of like, we should finish this cloak in order, in honor of, you know, of, our, of my brother. And also when I, when I walk with you guys. So I'm like, okay, that was sweet. I didn't need any of the rest of the episode. So we also got Tandy. Tandy is dealing with her multitudes of issues. And she finds herself uh, like have really having to utilize her mom's new boyfriend. So her mom, its boyfriend, is this lawyer, who, unbelievable to Tandy, seems to be like good at his job. Like he's actually helping him out and looking for stuff uh, that's related to her father's death. And he's actually finding information. And he kind of lets Tandy in on what he's found it's not a lot but he's found out that like the company even after her father died was doing a lot to like protect whatever it was that he was working on and which he you know surmises to be just a lump of of metal at the bottom of the sea by now but they're doing a lot to cover their tracks in regards to this thing and so uh tandy's like well you know she offers her help and she's like you know i'll help you look even in you know even more detail into this and in the process of doing all of this, she's starting to get to know him as a person. And even though she's got her qualms, her mom has types, and this guy has a lot of red flags around him. I mean, he d- does drugs openly with her mother. <laughs> he um, is married, apparently, and just like, she's just already on edge. And given her history, it's it's not out of the norm for her to be like, eh, I don't know about all this. 
but he, for all intents and purposes, like all those, all these little tests that she puts him through, he passes pretty okay. So they, she kind of finds herself in a moment where she actually likes this guy. Like, you know, she's actually not hating him at this point. And of course, as soon as she's okay with him, her mom is just like, and no. Her mom basically finds a reason to dump this guy. He gets a call from the spouse that he's separated from. And apparently that's enough for her mom to just be like, uh, no, no, too much, too close. So she dumps him. Next day, Tandy goes out to meet him at the office, try and get more information, hopefully, and witnesses his death. So he gets murdered, murked in the window of his office. Apparently nobody is just walking around the streets right now uh, by some woman in a full like utilities outfit. She quickly disposes of the body by burning it to the ground with the office and just walks out. And and again, didn't even notice that somebody was looking and watching this from the window of this office, but whatever. So Tandy caught all of this to add to more horrifying memories for herself. And um, the next day, I'm assuming the next day, look, we get another flashback or flash forward or something where she's at the church with Tyrone. And they have this whole conversation. This is another standout moment for me because I was confused as to what was happening. So this was basically supposed to be a moment where they both yell at each other about privilege. Like that was that was what they were gonna do. So in Tandy's head, like Tyrone's got more privilege than her because he's got two parents who she is assuming just love him and take care of him. He's rich, he does not have the money worries that she's got. And that's pretty much it. Like all of that together (laughs) means that he is doing way better than she is. And he is quick to point out that he is living in a country that is actively and effectively trying to murder him on a daily basis. Half of the plans that she comes up with to help him kind of get more information on this detective that murdered his brother revolves around him being able to go in and out of a station that would just as happily kill him or lock him up in that order. And it's not even dawning on her like how difficult that might be. And so they have this whole conversation where he checks her on it and he's like, you can go into any place and no one would second guess you. I have to explain my existence every day. And she tries to combat that with, well, you know, that's not how I see it. And he's like, it doesn't matter how you see it. It's how the world sees it. And like them going back and forth. And then she tries to loop it around and say that he's got a death wish. They had a whole discussion about her being suicidal. And he that that's what initiated this conversation was like she had suicidal thoughts. And he was like, what the hell do you have to be suicidal about? And she came back at him with what does he even know about it? Yada, yada, yada. So after all of that and the privilege check, she comes back at him with he's got a death wish too because she's seen in the previous weird episode how he will actively go after this detective with little thought to the consequences to his own life on a regular basis. And she called him out on it and basically says he's also got a death wish. And you know that resulted in them getting angry and him leaving and her snorting a bunch of pills. And then I think, following that up with trying to drown herself in this lake she like you know what I don't even know what she used rope chains something to try and like drag herself down and then of course it doesn't work because inevitably she's like this is a terrible plan and cuts her way loose using one of her 
blades. The only good thing to come out of that is that we see her being able to call on these blades at will by the end of the episode. She figures out how to do that. She ends up going back to that office where the lawyer was, um, gets into his safe and uses her daggers to get into the safe. That's the only thing to come out of this episode. That and I guess, and I guess the cloak. They have not insinuated yet that that cloak is what's going to become cloak's actual wear, but it's heavily insinuated that that's where that's going. But this show is still moving slow as heck. All all this little recap I gave you was the episode. That was it. That was it. So um, I'm looking forward to this series speeding the hell up. It's we're four episodes in. So I'm hoping five, six, seven is going to like kick it up a notch and actually see them using this, maybe training, maybe actually talking to each other. We get little moments here and there of them trying to touch and it inevitably being like a polar magnet situation where they just zoom apart. So I'm waiting to see all of that. I'm also waiting to see how they are going to tackle the need that Cloak inevitably has or even if they're going to create or touch on the need that Dagger might have. So, you know, in, in my Wikipedia note-taking of what happens with this series, Cloak is very much dependent on Dagger and a lot of the re- the iterations of this series, comic series at the very least, uh, to feed his need. He is a void, basically. And if he's not fed, he can go on a rampage. He's always like at the cusp of being a villain. And she can satiate, satiate, you know what, I'm making up words, satiate that hunger uh, with her light. And in some iterations, it goes both ways. They both need each other. Like she needs somebody to take up, take up the extra light that she ends up, I guess, glowing, radiating, something to that nature. And just like he needs to be fed. So it works on a copacetic symbiotic kind of way. Uh, but right now he is fine. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no need for him to like be fed all the time. None of that is happening. And then on her end, she is barely using this light. So I'm sure a lot of this has to deal with budget. Like, you know, there's a lot of effects have to be put in place in order for them to use these abilities the way we think they should. But, um, right now it's just slow as hell. So I mean, I'm going to continue to give it a try. I'm going to continue to give it a try. I did it for Runaways. Oh, Runaways. So, yeah, side note. my Runaways, again, I'm not the demographic for Runaways, but it, it felt very much watered down and camp-tastic. If that's on purpose, great job. If that wasn't the intention, oh my gosh. So, but again, it's clearly made for younger viewers because half the stuff they're dealing with older viewers are like what 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 is this the problem okay so but yeah so that's what i'm seeing right now so i'm hoping everything kind of picks up pace eventually but next we're gonna be talking about my hero academia maybe a little incredibles and maybe some luke cage Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. 
with the exception of Twitter. Of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com.